Right then, let's get into it then. So the first episode of the Sporting Minds UK podcast. My name is Ollie Westbury and I am going to be the host, hopefully for the foreseeable future. Um, I'm joined by my two esteemed colleagues, uh, my co-hosts and also two good good pals of mine. Uh, uh, Mr. Callum Lee, who's a founder of the charity, uh, and a Mr. Ben Tuig. Chaps, it's nice to see you both. How are you doing today? Good to see you too, Wes. I'm um, very good, thank you. Yeah, I'm all right. Thanks, Wes. All good, mate. Good all to good. see you. Yeah, it's nice to see you, mate. So, obviously, it's the first episode of the podcast. Um, I'm going to come to you in a second, Cal, because obviously um, most of the, the listeners will probably know you, obviously, being the face of the charity. Twiggy, obviously, former cricketer for Worcester. Um, I'd just like you to just give a give a very brief introduction to yourself, if that's all right, mate. Um, obviously, that some of the listeners may know who you are, but obviously some of them may not. So, just can you just give us a, a very brief introduction to yourself and your career and the journey that you've been on? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so, yeah, I am Twiggy, I guess. Um, actual name Ben Twig, and I played for Worcestershire for five years, bowling left arm pies and slogging a few, and now. I am currently coaching quite a lot, teaching people to bowl left-hand pies and slog a few, and doing this podcast with you two fine gentlemen. And I've known Cal for ten years, maybe. We went to school together, and we got along was, lovely at school. Was was bullied by Ben Twig, <laughs> myself. That's such yeah. a lie. That's such a That's lie. That's what I've heard. Allegations. Yeah, you've heard that as well, haven't you, Wes? I have, yeah. Alec I, I have in the past, yeah. I think that's the old Ben. I think I think he's mellowed. I think it was character building, to be fair. So yeah, it's it's paid off potentially. Oh, I just tried to make you a better person, Cal. Well, you do. You seem to be doing all right for yourself, Cal. So I won't whinge about it too much. Yeah, more. shut up. So yeah, so then I've known Cal for a while. Went to school, and then I've known you, Wes, for a long time. Um, through many separate occasions, we've lived together. We've play cricket together we've shared hotel rooms together on many very dull away trips and yeah <laughs> we that sounds slightly slightly weird <laughs> hey nothing weird about own, that it's friend. 2021 was each to their own <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah we've known each other a long time and i'm excited to do this podcast and just talk to people about the highs and lows of sport and i can say firsthand that i've had a lot of lows and and a fair few highs, so it'll be interesting to talk to you guys about it and, you know, spitball and have some fun. Yeah, no, no, that's that's, that's great stuff, Twiggy. Um, I'd just like to echo those thoughts, really. Um, I think I'd just give the listeners a little bit of an introduction to myself. Um, as, like I say, most of them will not have a Scooby-Doo I am. Um, similar to you, Twig, played cricket for, for Worcester for the last uh, four or five years. Uh, we've known each other for, for a really long time, not only playing um, a bit of first-team cricket together, but we've also played um, all the way through the system um, since we were quite young. So we've known each other for quite a long time. And in the, the same way that, that, that I know Cal, um, Obviously, I've known Cal through through our, our local cricket club. It's funny because obviously he's the boss when it comes to the podcast. But on Saturday cricket, um, he, yeah, you're he's, he's your skipper. Of, yeah, yeah, you know your place on a Saturday, don't you, Cal? Um, so, so yeah, um, but yeah, I'm really delighted to be on board with this project. I'm really, really uh, grateful for Cal for um, for asking me to be involved, and hopefully, we can shed some light on what it's like to be a sportsman. Hopefully, we can. Um, help some some young athletes um, with the situations that we've been and with a little bit of uh, advice as well along the way maybe if we if we feel appropriate um but yeah so so that's so that's me really um cal yourself you are the founder of the charity um i can't turn on sky sports news these days without seeing your face seeing an interview of some description you're absolutely everywhere can't get rid of you um, it's a nightmare but obviously you founded the charity in 2019 um, it's going really well uh, you're now branching it branching branching uh, into uh, yeah branch. <laughs> uh, you're now branching into the social media uh, not social media the media side of of, of the charity I think, I think this could be the, the shortest podcast. shortest span of a, of a podcast host ever might have to get rid of you here Wes <laughs> 
You're getting sacked in the morning. Oh, shut up. Cal, tell us about the podcast. Why do you want to do a podcast? Well, initially, I really enjoy listening to, to various podcasts myself, you know, whether that's for entertainment, educational. And so I think it's a medium that's obviously really popular at the moment. Um, but I also think it's a medium that really fits in well with what we're all about as a charity. So obviously, you know, one thing we really are looking to do generally with our messaging is to try and encourage more young athletes and also the sort of wider population as well um, to open up and uh, and talk more about mental health in general. Um, obviously, yeah, we want people to talk about mental health issues that they do experience, but also just, I think, the, the subject as a whole, you know, the, the, the good stuff, the bad stuff, um, and, you know, diff- different experiences within it. And so, yeah, almost trying to um, create a conversation around mental health, record it and, and upload it as a podcast is probably quite a good um, good way to, to encourage that and almost like practice as we preach a little bit. I think I was quite wary of, you know, myself and people around the charity saying, let's open up and talk more about mental health, but they're not actually talking more and putting it out there in the public. So um, that's pretty much the the reason why. And I think also it'd be quite a lot of fun. I reckon we should uh, get going then. I know, Wes, we spoke before we started recording and you wanted to um, talk to Twiggy about something quite specific, didn't you? <clears throat> yeah, I did. I think, was it 2019, Twig, that you suffered that? uh you'll have to forgive me for not knowing the actual extent of the the injury but i know it was a very very bad injury to your knee yeah would you just like to give us a little bit of background on that yeah so it was 2019 i um ruptured my acl well yeah ruptured not fully it was just hanging on by a little thread like a couple of little super noodles were just hanging off joining the knee together so um i did that playing football on a on a sunday night at six ways seven aside played well though i did um did bang a few in that game but yeah i did that shooting and came down and landed on my knee and i remember the blow right this is hilarious before i get into it the bloke was like referee he's like look man my wife's a physio and I know that you've done nothing wrong. I know it. But my mum's an hairdresser. It doesn't mean I can cut hair. Do you know what I mean? I was thinking, where's this bloke getting his information from? But so I'm sat there on the side of the pitch thinking, my knee, I can't walk. I'm in absolute agony. And this bloke's telling me that I've done nothing wrong. So I ring, the th- I come round to your house yeah. after, where's, where you and Ed Barnard were living. And I'm getting these bag of peas off Barn thinking oh, I've got to ice my knee here because I'm playing tomorrow. Um, and I, I literally couldn't walk and it was excruciating. I just remember telling, ringing Giddo, who was our head coach at the time, and we had a conversation about it, and I won't go into that. Um, it, he just kind of said, come see me tomorrow, we'll check it out. I remember the doctor telling me, like, you've ruptured your ACL. And I was like, oh, my that's God. A, that's a big injury, that, isn't it? A ruptured ACL. Huge huge i'd never even i'd missed a game or two by like a back spasm if that like never injured ever and never broken fingers nothing so you you ended up missing a a whole year was it through this injury yes i i missed i played first class cricket the year before went out to australia playing quite well like felt good and then I came back that season and missed the whole the whole summer. And yeah, I haven't played first class cricket since two thousand eighteen. So do you think if you hadn't have uh been playing five aside football or seven aside football that day, do you think you'd still be a professional cricketer now? I don't think so. It's a big question. That is a big question for the first episode that's of the huge, podcast. Yeah, that is a big question. I've come out with a big question. That's huge. That's like twelve minutes. We're twelve minutes in, yeah, and well, that is throwing know, let's, let's, right into let's the get deep into end. It. Go on, Twig. I personally don't think so. Whether it had been through my own choice or someone else's, because I don't know. Like, like we were going to get into there was like my season off 
it liberated me as a human. I, it was so hard, but so good for me because I actually realised that probably cricket wasn't the right direction for me. Yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, when I, yeah. I, um, when I was like in under sixteens or so, I had a stress fracture and I missed a whole year. My initial reaction to having that stress fracture and the doctor telling me that I didn't have to play cricket for a year was I was actually pretty relieved and I was pretty happy. Yeah. Um, which mm. probably looking back was quite a, a big sign that it, it probably wasn't going to be for me. Um, but that feeling of I don't have to answer to all the coaches for a year i don't have to go to every training session and have those pressures that come with trying to at that stage trying to sort of progress it in the system was quite a, a good feeling really um so was that yeah a, was, was that a feeling which developed for you as you took the time off or was that an initial feeling no my initial feeling was like heartbreak i was gutted because mm. as well like my career up until that point had been so up and down that it was kind of it had only just started getting to a constant where I was performing quite well and felt good like physically felt good with my bowling and my batting and my cricket in general so then for it to go to a a dramatic low was kind of just like you know like the straw that broke the camel's back a bit that it was just like I've just got to a place where I feel good and now this has happened and I didn't, I didn't know how bad it was because you don't unless you've been through an ACL rupture or like mm. you're a physio or a surgeon. You don't quite know what it in, entails when you first get the news. I, I can remember, I can remember the um, the first the first evening that you actually you did it. I can remember you saying, um, well, like you said, you mentioned that you came round to to mine and Ed's that evening, and you had the peas on it. And as you walked out to go home, you slightly, you said, oh, I'll be all right, I'll just play on it. And and you were currently at that point deciding, weren't you, whether you were going to tell them how you injured yourself or whether you were going to lie. I think I remember yeah. telling you to say, say you did it falling down the stairs <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. Um, but I know you've just mentioned briefly um, how you felt personally, but how did you feel as though the... I don't want to say the system, but how, how did you feel as though the, the, the staff made you feel at that moment in time? I don't know, man. That's, it's hard because it... But can, I, can I just ask a precursor to that question? Why, why did you tell the truth, which is very admirable, but if I was in that situation, I would have 100% of lied. I think I just told the truth because I just, like, even now, like, I just live and die by the truth if that makes sense like i'd rather someone just be honest with me you've made me sound really bad then no <laughs> no not oh, all but i'd rather <laughs> don't worry cal don't worry cal i'd have done the same thing yeah i think it just depends i'd rather someone tell me the truth and then you can just get over it rather than lie and try and cover your back or whatever and like if i'd have lied and fallen down the stairs done my acl like that's a big old lie you got covering up for it like there's all eight. there's a there's a very good quote by Oscar Wilde which is um something like uh the best thing about always telling the truth is that I never have to remember what I've said which is probably quite a good well, quote well exactly then you don't have to cover your back do you and for me like the, like if we're naming names like wow well, the head coach at the time like everyone can google who it was or whatever it was at the point where I, I just thought, I'll just be honest with him, straight up. He's a straight up guy. He's going to tell me how it is. I'm going to tell him how it is. And that's how I want our relationship to be. So it it was quite good. Like, I would have told anyone how it, like, what, what happened. Do you regret that now? Nah, not at all. No way. So how did it actually feel? So you're about to tell your head coach that you've been injured playing seven aside football before a game for a, uh, a professional cricket match. Um, how, how did it sort of feel like a few moments before going to tell him? I, were you shitting yourself or... I can imagine it wasn't a nice feeling. Yeah, it, it was... It wasn't the best feeling. I just felt really anxious to the point where, like, I know, like, my anxiety is... It just gets to the point where I can't 
I can't feel my my limbs. Yeah. You know what Real. I mean? Like where you're just like, <laughs> I am not even on this planet right now. Yeah. And it, uh, I just remember you know, ring, ringing him and just couldn't get the words out. <laughs> man, I remember actually yeah. seeing because I, I was, um, I think I was uh, training uh, at the game that you were supposed to be playing in the next day at Kidderminster, um, or a couple of days after. I remember seeing you, um, seeing you there, and definitely looking, you know, quite visibly down and deflated. Um, so I, I can imagine it, it would have been quite a tough, you know, 48, 72 hours um, after, you know, telling him. What was the sort of reaction that you got? How, how was it received? It's like like any sporting, well, I don't know, like any, because I've only played for one team, but like what you'd assume any sporting environment would be like, yeah, it was, it was a mistake. And I think throughout time, everyone forgive forgave me for that because like what you can't you can't hold someone against playing football on a Sunday night for the rest of your life because there's bigger stuff to worry about isn't there and but at the start yeah it was icy that's that's probably an understatement it was icy but I think I think I don't I can't speak for anyone else but I think the point where I was honest made the made the treatment of a bit less icy because I was just like, well, I fronted out here and said everything as honest as possible. Treat me now as honestly and as re- not respectfully, but yeah. with the most dignity you can. Yeah, because I've been well, respectful yeah, respectfully. I think, and I think I think that's what we got to in in the end. And the the physio and S and C definitely got me back on track, and that was never an issue. That's that's there. Yeah, the, uh, the 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 physio does follow us on Instagram. He's a uh, Ben Ben Wustafers, friend of the show. Yeah, so I, and I did a lot of my stuff with Ali, Mackenzie, and we yeah we worked really hard and we got got back fit. In so no when time you, really. I played my first game within nine months. So, obviously the injury happened in pre-season that summer. Um, how did you find? Can you describe to me what the the, the rehab process was like not in a sense of what gym stuff did you do what all that kind of thing as in how did that impact your yourself mentally mm. how did that make you feel it was hard rehab was hard like if anyone knows me I'm not I'm not the biggest gym goer in the world it's not my cup of tea yeah yes you and you and me both yeah um i i like sport for what it is i like playing it i don't like training as such especially in the gym but it was just hard like when you're seeing people playing or you're seeing a wicket that's a bit conducive to the old left arm tweak you're a bit like yeah i fancy this now <laughs> and that's that when it... not... that that line yeah. there is not going to make sense to many people who don't play cricket so you mean when you're about to play a game which you reckon you could do really well in? Yeah, basically. <laughs> and you, yeah, you just fancy it, and that's when it hits you hardest because that's when you you're living through that moment over and over again, thinking, "Yeah, I didn't do the right thing, but it happened." I think um, injuries are a huge part of sport. There's not many uh, professions out there that that can take you away through. A, a physical injury and it's mm. one of those where i suppose in in your situation it would have been quite easy to um you know potentially blame yourself and get into quite a negative headspace and you know think that you you know you wish you could have turned back the clock and and not just played football on that on that particular given day um but i suppose that that's never really gonna gonna help you so did you try and just think look it's happened um it wasn't really anything that I that I could have controlled, as you said. You know, part of just being a being being a human, enjoying life, is doing different things. Mm. Um, how how did you try and sort of manage your approach to to the injury in terms of the mental aspect of it? I think when it comes to the event, I've I've kind of I've got to a place where I probably got to in the first three weeks. Of being like, 
I did it. I did it for a reason. I was there. If I wasn't there, then I wouldn't have been injured. But I was, and now I'm injured. And you've got to get over it. Like, it got to that point where you go through all different scenarios in your head. What if I didn't have done that? Like, what if I took... What if someone rang me and I didn't end up going to football or whatever? But there's no point. You can't dwell on that. Like, that, that's literally anxiety 101. You're not letting go of the past. And I just got to a point where I just had to let go. And... Yeah, throughout it, it was just so many ups and downs. But ups and downs that you don't, you've never experienced before. Because you've got also physical pain. Yeah, from from my perspective, um, as a friend, watching you go through that, I think at times it was was quite hard in terms of, I can remember you after your sur- seeing you after your surgery and mm. you looked like a ghost. And you, yeah. I can remember there was was it me and I can't remember who I was with. But we came to visit you in in the in the yeah. surgery after Dear you laughing. had that. Um, yeah, because I think something that I found from obviously being, I know I wasn't in the first team at the time. Obviously playing playing in the second team, but we almost went like weeks and months without mm. seeing you. And I felt yeah. like for you that experience of not being around the lads. I mean, that's one of the things in team sport that helps you get through that camaraderie that you have with your teammates. And I felt for you that that must have been a, quite a lonely experience because you were left to your own devices t- to do your rehab, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. But I, I also drove myself away from that environment. I didn't want to I didn't want to be around it cuz it just felt like torture. Like, it's that self-deprecation of, like, going in and being like, you could have had this or seeing people that you could have been playing with or coaches that could have been coaching you and they're not. And it's not the right way to look at it, looking back, but it also gave me a lot of independence. I think it was like a self-preservation type thing. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I never want it to go in. I never want it to just be that bloke that just hangs around. Have you seen that Neil Warnock video? When he's like, go on, get out of his sight, go and have a bath. I have seen that. You're making me sick just looking at you. Yeah, you're making me sick just looking at you. Go and have a bath. I felt like that bloke that had to go have a bath somewhere. So I was like, oh, he no. He would be a brilliant this... guest to get on the podcast and Neil Warnock. That oh, would be good He'd be cool. Did, yeah. did you see his message, his message to Joe Root the other, the other week and he still managed to complain about a referee? He's congratulating him for getting 100 test matches and he still managed to get in. Oh, I was up all night because the referee made a shocking decision on the Saturday. And uh, and this was while he was sending him a message saying congratulations. I didn't, know, he was a, uh, I didn't know Neil Warnock was a cricket fan, to be fair. That surprises me. I yeah, don't know why, but it does. Either sure. that or he's just an insomniac. Fair enough. So so you felt like <laughs> the guy in the video that Neil Warnock tells to have a bath. Yeah, get out of his sight. make me feel sick. Um, but yeah, I, I draw myself away from that. But that led to other things like you find what because all I've ever known is cricket ever from signing at 17 up until that moment when I was 21 or whatever. And I've never had a summer off. So I've got a summer off. I'm I'm going home as well, like to see my mum and dad and they live in Leeds. So I'm seeing my my mates that I've always grown up with and I'm just like you know, just figuring stuff out for yourself that that came probably at the best the best time for me. And I turned vegan, so really affects really just just a question that, that that I would say is for any young athlete that might be listening to this regardless of the mm. sport if they're coming back from an injury or they have suffered an injury that might be potentially detrimental to their careers what would you say what piece of advice would you give them to help them cope with the mental side of that recovery and that rehab from somebody who's experienced it like yourself men mentally physically is different like you've just got to do everything you can always and beyond, yep. do everything to the T. Mentally, get a good network. Get a good support network of people, if you obviously can. If you can't, just one person. Like my 
the best person I spoke to about everything was Ali Mackenzie, who's our physio, but he's also one of my good mates. And we had a good relationship yeah. outside of cricket. And we go and do stuff like we go have coffee. We go and, when I could walk, go on walks and talk about just life or like just watch stupid films, just like stuff that doesn't that takes your mind off rehab and getting back into it. And everyone's different. If you feel like you want to be around that environment. Some people love it, like they thrive off the sporting environment and being in the change room. And if they're big characters and they need that, then their changing room should allow for that, if that makes sense. The environment that they're in, or yeah. if you're an individual sport, if you like going to the gym and seeing other people in whatever train, then do it. Do whatever you feel that you need to do. Because at the end of the day, like you've got to get back fit and you've got mentally and physically so you've got to do what you need to do and don't don't regret it or don't think like like i did i think was like oh i'm that bloke that just loiters around no one's ever thinking that from from your own from your own perspective cal um yes i know that your own battles have contributed to the reason i don't want to change the subject here away from you twig but i just wanted to bring this up with with you cal i know that your own battles have actually been a contributing factor to why you felt the charity needed to be set up in the first place um mm. can you just divulge a little bit more on that into what i experienced and the mental health issues i had in yeah cricket. i think so i just think that maybe the list the, of course yeah i think that i think the listeners might find it intriguing to listen to to maybe the, the journey that you went on yourself and the inspiration for setting up a charity that i think you would agree you didn't expect it to to quite go like this no, not at all. I had no inclination towards setting up a charity until probably um, late 2018. So, like you too, I was involved in the Worcestershire system. Not a professional, but uh, in the sort of academy setup. Um, left Malvern College, where I was at school with uh, Ben Tuig, who's a couple of years older than me. But uh, I left in the summer of 2018, um, having loved it. Went into a busy summer of playing cricket and that being pretty much the only thing um that i was doing and um had a little bit of a mini breakdown started sort of going through some some quite intense anxiety issues that i hadn't really experienced before um you know to, to the point where i was starting to be like physically sick which was quite scary and also pretty confusing um and had a sort of constant low mood i wouldn't call it depression but i was pretty uh pretty down in the dumps would try and just sleep all day to to not go through that feeling and so that's when i pretty much thought that yeah there, there is something probably pretty pretty wrong with me and something that i probably have to um look to get sorted and long story short i thought that the um the support on offer um for uh, you know, not just young cricketers, but young athletes across the country um, just wasn't there for enough uh, enough people. And the access to support uh, was, I thought, too narrow towards the sort of top end of academy sport and professional sport. So uh, in my gap year, uh, that's when I decided with an enormous amount of help from my dad as well to create what is now Sporting Minds UK. And we're on just over a year in terms of being a fully operational charity and it's going well yeah we're supporting athletes all the time we're making sure that they have access to private mental health care we know that the nhs is is brilliant but the the waiting lists at the moment for for mental health care are, are long and uh you know when when you're a young athlete going through mental health issues you need you need that support as quickly as possible so um yeah, it, my life has sort of taken a, quite a big turn really in the past year or so, uh, a lot more than I thought it would. Um, but as you say, yeah, the, the whole reason for me starting this charity was the issues that I faced within cricket. Yeah, and, and, and personally, um, from your, your perspective, it's helped um, yourself, um, hasn't it? Um, now, I did notice something on social media this year that, uh, this year sorry um this week um that you have 
received the Prime Minister's Point of Light Award. Um, I would have texted you saying congratulations for this, um, Cal, but last time I sent you a message saying congratulations, you just blanked me. So I thought if I corner you while we're recording, uh, you can't you can't ignore me. Um, so can you just can you just explain just a little bit about that? Uh, well, um, I don't think I blanked you. I think I just replied after about a week or so, which isn't blanking you. But um, yeah, no. Uh, on Friday, no, so at the time of recording, it's what is it Tuesday? So a few days ago, um, I got a phone call from um, someone in the in the cabinet office in the civil civil. Service. Wasn't Boris himself then? No, no, it wasn't Boris himself. Uh, oh, so, yeah, that's a blow. You could have given him your political thoughts. And um, yeah, they they basically told me that uh, Boris Johnson had, had decided that he wanted to award me with the Point of Light Award. He'd read a case study on the charity, um, which is great to hear that he's in support of it. And so, um, yeah, I received that award from him. And um, apparently, he is going to write me a letter which will be very cool to read. Um, and also that within that, uh, what, why, why are you laughing? I can hear, I can just hear you laughing. On the letter it says you may kiss his hand. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, so I'll, I'll get a letter from him and also a certificate along with that. And so it was a very um, surprising phone call to get. But um, yeah, I feel very honoured nice. to well done, receive Cal. that award. Thank you. Yeah, well done, mate. And he's definitely got my vote now, for sure. But yeah, thank you, thank you, Wes, for mentioning that. I didn't, for anyone listening, I didn't. That's all right. I didn't want right. Wes to That's talk right. about that before. Right. <laughs> he did. He did. He gave, he texted me before saying, just make sure you make sure you you give that a bit of a plug in the podcast because I haven't had that many messages on my phone. So you know, if this gets released, <laughs> I want people yeah, to be that uh, is saying, uh, well done to me for my uh, my recognition. If Berger listens to this, he's gonna be well happy, isn't he? Yeah, well, he does. He does follow us on Instagram. <laughs> Get out! Does he actually? No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. <laughs> yeah, I better not slag him off, man. I've been deleted off, out of society. Yeah, Twiggy, would you have um, would you have accepted the award off Boris, or would you have declined it? No comment. I can't possibly say on on such a. <laughs> on a nah, of course point. I'd have accepted it. Of course I'd have accepted it, but. No, it, yeah. I, I think it's. it's... I, won't, I won't kiss his signet ring if he asked me to. You wouldn't, you wouldn't kiss his ring, no. I think <laughs> no. it was a very very nice to be given the award by him. Um, but I think what's, what's amazing is that just a year in, you know, the Prime Minister of the country believes and supports in what Sporting Minds is doing, which, you know, is beyond any of my initial expectations for the charity. Um, you know, it's a, a huge, huge privilege and just great to think that the Prime Minister... Um, knows all about Sporting Minds UK, which can only be a good thing, I think. Yeah, and I think that's the that's the main thing, Cal. Like, it it it's people in power that can really make a change and a difference. And whoever it is, right or wrong, um, is is it's got to be. It, it, we're in it was a mental health epidemic, really, and the statistics can show that. So it, it's got to be given the light and attention that it, it needs. So, fair play, mate. Well done. Thank you, Twiggy. Thank you very much. And thank you, Wes, for, uh, for your in, time. In term... well. That's all right, mate. Um, I'll stop blowing your trumpet now. Um, so, with regards to the charity itself, um, can you give us uh, a little bit of an update on most recent events? I noticed something on the social media channels last week of Sporting Minds, lots of athletes... Um, lifting weight. Uh, can you just give us a bit of a, a bit of an update on, on on what's going on and where that came about from? Because that's a great way of uh, the charities using to to raise awareness, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think you're talking about hashtag lift weight donate, which is the uh, Sports Direct campaign going on at the moment. Well, I think by the time this records, the challenge will be over. But yeah, we we got an email come through from uh, Sports Direct saying that they wanted to make us the official charity partner for their lift weighting lift weighting weightlifting um social media campaign that they wanted to have a mental health focus around uh which was 
yeah, massive, uh, massive moment for the charity really to to have the opportunity to raise a lot of money through donations and raise a lot of awareness. Um, it's it's been really good. I think uh, it's been a challenge that yeah pe- people have got involved with, and um, definitely a good idea. As we know, there's lots of um, synergies between lifting weight, exercise, and you know positive mental health. So it was a brilliant opportunity for us. Uh, we were very thankful uh, to Sports Direct for choosing us, um, and it's run really well. In terms of a general sort of update as to where the charity is, I think a uh, Always a good benchmark for us is, um, you know, how many athletes we're supporting. And I think, as I mentioned earlier on in the podcast, we've now supported over 500 athletes. Um, You know, I think thinking back to when we started um, and all the work that went into setting up the charity, obviously not just by myself, but by the sort of whole wider team, um, supporting just one athlete would have been worthwhile uh, to think that just over a year in, we've been able to provide uh, private healthcare to over 500 athletes is beyond any of uh, my expectations for the charity uh, whatsoever. So it's a, I think the charity is in a really strong position. We've got great capacity to keep supporting athletes, and yeah, you know, thankfully we're we're in a good place at the moment. We've only really been in existence during COVID time, so it's been relatively tough to to raise funds and, and keep going but we've got brilliant supporters on social media and you know throughout the sort of wider public and it's going really well yeah yeah it, it is it is going really well i was going to ask you actually um if the pandemic had influenced referrals or not obviously twiggy myself and you do know about what it's like as a sportsman um to be an athlete during uh these rather I know it's been used and it's a bit of a cliche, but unprecedented times. Um, we were both in the last year of our contracts last year, weren't we, when um, this pandemic um, uh, took place. Um, so I just wanted to share with, to, to see what, what, what your thoughts were with regarding like dealing with it. How did you try and deal with it, Twig? Uh, last year of the contract a certain amount of uncertainty going on uh, it was a very difficult time um, with you not knowing what's going to happen about your future whether we get out to play any cricket at all whether we were going to get released obviously we know what's happened now obviously but um, I just wanted to see what you thought about um, how you coped with that with with with, with being um... cooped up like I said before, it was it was a similar. I had only played cricket in Australia after my ACL, so I was kind of ready for a bit of a break, to be honest. Um, I'd played a full season in Australia, and it was hard work, and I was probably quite tired. So when they said, "Oh, you got the first month of the season off," I was I was buzzing, I think. Um, but then as it got as it got into it, I was lucky because I was here with Meg, who's my girlfriend, and we had a great we had a great time as much as we could have done and it was nice to actually you know just like live for a bit because you know as like as well as Cal knows that you've pulled from pillar to post when you're playing professional sport and to have the start of the summer to actually do what what you wanted is where you couldn't obviously go out or you'd do anything that wasn't in the rules but the sun was shining and we were all right. We we're all safe. Um, I didn't find it that hard to start with, and then I was doing a lot of yoga and reading a lot, and I found that really good, just good for my mental health, just keeping me positive and keeping my body moving as much as I could have done, because that really that makes a big difference in my my mood and my my outlook if I'm moving a lot, and then. It just got harder towards when we started playing yeah. because there was so much pressure and so little practice. Like we didn't practice at all, and I felt that's when it hit me that you you're starting the season a, a month after practicing after a pandemic, or ju- still during a pandemic after a lockdown, and that's when it was hard. That's when it was really like panic stations. I don't know if you found that the same way. It felt like 
he had to be punching back foot punches and bowling the best balls you bowled two weeks after you hadn't bowled a ball for six months. I don't know. Did you find yeah. that? I, I think I found it probably more difficult in your sense. I can remember having uh, a, a couple of conversations with the psychologist um, at Worcester during the pandemic, saying, "What's the point? Just like uh, I'm, I'm in the last year of my contract." Uh, uh, and I think I was looking at the, the end process rather than focusing each day at a time. I think I, I looked at it as if to say, "I'm screwed. I've got no chance." Um, it's just taken away at all opportunity I think is the way I felt because I knew that I didn't stand much of a chance of getting a contract but I knew that that power was in my hands I knew that if I did well that there'd be a chance that I could earn one and I think especially towards the the start with the uncertainty and you had people saying we might be locked up for a year we might be stuck in our own homes for a year and, and there's no option to play any sport I thought to myself well what happens to me here and the uncertainty at times, it, it got the better of me, not to an extent where I was depressed um, by no means, but I think I was, I was, even though I was, I was living, obviously I was still living with, with Ed who's, and, and with his girlfriend at the time who supported me a lot, but being away from my girlfriend um, made, I felt quite alone, even though I wasn't alone, if that, if that makes sense, because obviously my situation was, yeah. was, was very different. Um, and that uncertainty for me made the, made that a real a real challenge. And I found that this lockdown, when I don't have my future in um, being up for grabs, I don't feel the stress anywhere near as much. Okay, I'm I'm now working doing a doing a nine to five job, but I don't find the stress is there anywhere near as much as as it was during the first one, which I did find. A real struggle and when we did come back to playing cricket I found it less of a less of a struggle because I think my mind was occupied a bit more but even still I think it was a pretty hopeless situation to be in however there are so many athletes all over the country all over the world that are in the same boat as as what we were at the moment um, so I just thought it was really interesting to to just get yeah. what, what your thoughts were and, and it's interesting that you say that it was actually the our, our thoughts are actually the complete opposite. That, yeah, that you seem to find it harder once we got back to playing, or as I found it much harder when I was sat at home thinking about what was going to happen to me. Yeah, I think that's I think that's due to experience though. I've not played in summers for a couple of years, so me sat at home not doing nothing. I always find something to do because I'm used to not playing cricket in the summer which sounds really weird for a professional cricketer to say but then actually going back into playing cricket yeah. it was kind of like what this doesn't add up anymore this isn't, it's not right and I, I had the same conversation with our head coach that I was just like I don't really know what I'm doing stepping foot on the pitch to be honest like I don't know if I had this conversation with him in August and or maybe before we played an inter-squad game and I was not even on this planet. Like I was, I was still in my back garden drinking a Peroni. Like I was not, I was not present whatsoever. And I just remember just being like, I could walk off this pitch at any point in time. Wouldn't no one care. Well, that's what I thought. No one would care anyway. So I might as well just do it. And then afterwards I spoke to him a couple of days after and just was like, I've just got to let you know my headspace at the moment because I'm just not. I, c- I couldn't. I couldn't deal with it. I couldn't handle that end of. What well, I knew I was coming towards the end, but I just didn't have that drive and that ability to go. Yeah, come on, like you know, you can do it because I don't ever think I wanted to do it. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. I think so. I think so. Um, yeah, I was quite a long. I think I, I, I definitely um, can sort of relate to to how you were thinking because um, I got to a point where I just did not want to play cricket anymore. You know, in terms of really seriously, and in terms of like being involved in a professional system, um, I can definitely relate to how it's yeah. it, it's a bit of a re- relief not having to do it anymore because it is a really extremely demanding 
job. I mean, you know, I've n- I've never done it for a profession, so I think a good episode of the the podcast could be just asking you guys about what the realities are, are actually of being a professional sportsman, and you know, potentially when the novelty is worn off of being a professional athlete, what are the sort of difficulties that you go through day in day out that do make it, you know, a, a proper job at the end of the day? Because it isn't, you know, all glitz and glamour all the time. Yeah, there are absolutely brilliant things I can, you know, imagine playing in front of a, a full crowd and doing well is pretty much going to be better than, than than most things you can do. But it also comes with um, incredibly challenging demands that that can take a, a real strain on your um, on your mental health. Yeah, and like I just I I was thinking about it on the lead up to this, like. The amount of times, probably like 70% of times that I stepped foot onto a pitch, I thought, when can I retire? Yeah. And that's, like, I think when you that, start to get into that headspace, you know something has gone wrong, don't you? Yeah, but I think I was like that from about 15. Mm. Well, before, I, I'd even, I, before I even could retire. You've, 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 always, you've always been quite emotional though, haven't you? Yeah, definitely. Somebody who knows you, knows you well. You wear your heart on your sleeve, and you know that if you don't feel particularly happy about something, or if there's something that's bugging you, um, or there's something on your mind, you're not particularly shy, and you will speak your mind rather than than bite your tongue. But yeah, it, it's it's a really interesting t- t- discussion um, regarding. I would say I probably feel more like that now, like. I don't miss, I don't miss cricket, professional cricket. I thought I would. I thought it was like the be all and end all. Don't, and I, don't miss yo-yo tests. Yeah, <laughs> well, I don't miss them either. But I, I thought that, I, that that cricket was everything, and it was while I was in it. But I actually find that now I'm out of it. There's a lot more that I've enjoyed since. And, and that's I just, probably uh, go on, Cal. And that's probably quite a big that's probably quite a big overarching message of what we're trying to get across with you know sporting minds uk in terms of not having your whole identity based on the sport that you play because i think it's definitely sounds like you um did that whereas and i definitely did i i went through quite a long period where i just saw myself as a cricketer and nothing else and then when my cricket started to go bad and i realized that i wasn't going to be able to do that going forward um that part of my identity was was taken away from me and ultimately it was left a, a huge hole and I sort of look back and think at that time when I experienced that I didn't really have anything to fall back on that I was really passionate about and anything to sort of redirect my energy to and I think that was when my mental health issues started to to get a bit worse um, so I think having a real diverse identity and yeah it's it's great to um Obviously, you know, if you're in the position to be a professional cricketer or, or aspiring to be, you're going to have to make it a definite priority and you're going to have to put a lot of time and effort into it. But it, it should never be your whole life. It should just be a part of your life. I think. Definitely. That's spot on, Kel. Like everything that I've ever done or Wes has ever done on any professional cricketer to get to where they've been is hard work. Like no doubt. And you've got to be committed and you've got to give it everything you can because when it's when it's gone, it's gone. And like, I'll probably, I might never get it back. I might, Wes might never get it back. He might, but at the moment it's gone. And you're looking back at it now, reminiscing. And you've got to be there and you've got to give it your all. But you've also got to remember it's just sport. <laughs> like, it's fun. It's what it is. And also, I think, I think in order to be the best athlete that you can be, you've probably got to be quite balanced 100%. as well during that time. Obsessed obsessed oh no 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 Wes, i would say Wes has gone I, I with the opposite say, of what I, I, me and Tony think. I, I, okay I, I, that's interesting i would say that the the best players are the ones well maybe maybe yeah uh yeah i suppose there there is there is the fine line between the healthy balance but i think you definitely need that element of obsession to your sport that you're that everything that you live and breathe the sport that you play to be at that real elite level well, I think it's in my opinion, that's an opinion. That's not that's yeah. not right. And it's an interesting. Opi- it's definitely probably the more popular opinion. I think just from my point of view, you only if if you just look at the 
top elite athletes, the best in the world, and look at what they are like in terms of their makeup and, and you think, oh, okay, you know, they are obsessed. Um, therefore, to be an elite athlete, you have to be obsessed. Well, there's probably, for every top international that's obsessed, there's 50 or 100 of that level below that were obsessed that never quite got there. So it's, you know, it, I, I think it's quite hard sort of yeah. analysing yeah, no, it no, from, the, point. From, from the particular to the general. Um, but it's, it's, it's one of those mentalities at the moment that's almost quite fashionable, like that hustle mentality of you've got to dedicate your whole life to something. And I've never really bought into that because... I, I, I've just never seen it as beneficial to, to place your whole life on something. It, it seems like something too big to really um, actually do effectively mm. and it for it to work out. Um, I don't know. Twig, what do you reckon? Yeah, it's hard. It's, it's something where you look at Ronaldo and you look at him and think obsessed. But at the same time, no one sees what Ronaldo does when he's not on the pitch. Everyone sees him through through a glass like a glass window that is Instagram that you can see him training like three, four hours a day or whatever in his home gym. But you don't know what he does when he's not on Instagram. Like he could be the absolute guru of self-care and you'd never see it because he never puts it where anyone would want to see it. So I think it is having that obsession, yeah, but a healthy obsession and... Yeah, and I think probably when when you do decide that, right, you know, for these four or five hours I'm dedicating my day to my, my craft, then I think that's quite healthy to be obsessed during that yeah. time. But I think probably being able to switch off away from the sport must have its Yeah, and I don't sure. think any master of their craft, whether it be from art to sport, has never given the dedication and time it needs because that's how you become a master of it. Like everyone knows that it's it's hours that add up to your to your so called perfection and but you've got to drop it. Once it's done, it's done. Because you can't do anything about it when you're sat at home. We've had there's been some sort of fan, fascinating discussion here, uh, and it gives us a lot to a lots of topics for us to get stuck into on future episodes of the podcast. But I think for today, I think that will do us there, gents. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. And it, I've really enjoyed that. And I look forward to doing this again soon. If you want to stay up to date with anything to do with Sporting Minds, then follow us across all social media platforms at Sporting Minds UK. You can also follow Westbury and Twig if you want to. <laughs> you can follow our producer, Will Stace. Uh, Thank you very much for him doing his uh, his editing work. Cheers. <laughs> Bye.